0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, We're reading Amos chapter 8 this morning, and in the Holy Bible that just has Holy Bible written on it, that's page 651. I'm not sure about the other one, sorry. (laughs) So we're reading the whole of the chapter up to verse 14, entitled A Basket of Ripe Fruit. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son And the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of God, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. They who... Swear by the shame of Samaria, or say, As surely as your God lives, O Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. Amen.
1: Anyway, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, this passage from Amos. And uh, we just pray now that you'd quieten our minds and help us to focus Uh, that we would understand more of the uh, passage and its application for us, that we would change, that we would be more the people you would have us be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The point is this, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies... Cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed is good. What do you reckon? These are not my words, by the way. <coughs> um, these are the words of uh, of wisdom from Gordon Gecko. Uh, some of you might remember him from the nineteen eighty seven, I think, movie called Wall Street. And um, uh, Gordon Gecko, he was the the ruthless. Corporate raider, uh, raider, who would uh, he would hunt down for vulnerable companies, companies that were were not making much profit, but they had valuable assets, and uh, so what he would do is that he would um, uh, he would uh, buy a controlling uh, interest in the company, uh, with the promise that he was going to salvage the company, that he was going to improve the company, that he would rescue the company and yet as soon as he gained control, what did he do? He would sell the business, strip the assets and uh, do so at a big profit to himself, thereby destroying the business and throwing faithful employees onto the unemployment scrap heap but whatever it took to make his profit. Apparently, when the director of the movie, Oliver Stone, was doing research for it, he did spend a fair bit of time with some of the movers and shakers on Wall Street uh, so that, in fact, uh, the, um, this is not entirely fiction. <laughs> there is actually a degree of reality uh, in the story. It was a little bit true to life. Greed is good, claimed Gordon Gecko it captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. And uh, what is the essence of the evolutionary spirit? Well, the evolutionary spirit, of course, is survival of the the fittest. Survival of the fittest. You see, greed is about self. Now, we may not be playing with people's lives as corporate raiders, but if I am greedy... Then life is about me. It's about my pleasures. It's about my comfort. It's about my wealth. It's about my little empire. And if life is all about me, then guess what? It's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. And so other people become um, opportunities to be exploited or obstacles to be cleared away. Now, uh, it's not a great surprise to us. I mean, we sort of expect to, to find this amongst people who uh, don't really know God, who don't, don't have a relationship with God, uh, amongst people who think that really this life, this, uh, this mortal life, and this earthly existence, that this is all that there is, so you might as well make the most of it. Uh, we kind of expect that. But isn't it disappointing when we see it amongst God's people? you feel disappointed when you see it amongst God's people or even amongst yourself? Well, if we feel disappointed, how disappointed must God feel? Uh, now, we don't have to imagine that too hard, in fact, because uh, uh, in Amos chapter 8, uh, we see that uh, Gordon Gecko uh, would have felt pretty much at home, would have felt comfortable, in the business world of ancient Israel. Um, in the mid eighth century BC when Amos did his preaching, uh, Israel was in a sort of an economic boom. Um, the um, situation was looking good for them financially. Uh, a big reason for that was that under the rule of King Jeroboam II, that they had had some degree of military successes which had enabled them to expand their, their territory. And when you do that, you kind of exploit the uh, you know, the riches or the wealth of that territory that you expand into. And so, uh, you know, in terms of the economic cycle, they were in the boom kind of period. But it was only the big end of town that was benefiting from this. And they were very happy. But God wasn't. Have you got Amos 8 open in front of you? It'd be helpful if you did. Uh, Just check out how God reacted to to their their greed in verses 4 through to 6. He says, Hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure... Boosting the priced and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Okay, so what was their philosophy on life? It's all about them, isn't it? It's all about them. And so, in, in verse four, uh, when they um, when they meet someone who is in need, how do they view that person? Do they think of that person as being a fellow Israelite, uh, someone who's part of God's people, someone who's been made in the image of God and redeemed by God? Do they think of that person as a brother or sister, uh, someone who is uh, who, who needs to be helped? No. Um, they actually see in that person an opportunity to exploit them. Um, in verse 6, the person who's so desperate so poor that they they need um, a pair of shoes, some covering for their feet, well, they get a deal, and the deal is this. I'll give you what you need, but you now belong to me. Do you see the accusation of Amos in verse verse 4? You trample the needy. They didn't love the needy, and nor did they love God. Uh, In verse 5, Uh, Think about the the Sabbath. They they tolerated the Sabbath. Uh, These uh, merchants, they they put up with the Sabbath, um, but they couldn't wait till it was over so they could resume ripping people off. There's a picture that's painted for us in verse 5. You buy some grain from one of these characters in order to, to feed your family, and he measures up 25 kilos of wheat, but it's really only twenty kilos of wheat, because he's using dishonest scales. And then, when you're not looking, he scoops, you know, a few kilos out because he skimps on the measure. And when you get home, you find that it's not all wheat, because there's dirt and chaff in it that he's swept up from the uh, from the floor, and added it to what you've purchased. Now, how do you feel? Um, when you get ripped off? It's not a great feeling, is it? It's terrible. What if it was one of God's people who ripped you off? Hmm. I read a story some years back in the City Morning Herald about a, um, an accountant who was described as being a devout Christian. Uh, in fact, he had been a member of his church's um, leadership uh, team, a leadership board, uh, who cultivated relationships with members of his church and then invited them to invest in some uh, schemes that he'd um, set up where he could uh, guarantee to them a 30 to 50% return on their investment, and uh, he would also add another 5% that he would give to the work of the church. Great guy. And, of course, you can guess where this story ends, can't you? <laughs> um, recently, people have been astonished by the story of that you know, financial advisor, Melissa Caddick. You've seen her in the newspapers. Her foot turned up on a, in a shoe on a beach down the south coast. Uh, she was a lady who um, just stole from people, stole from her family, stole from her friends, st- stole from everyone. Um, and, you know, we're, we're shocked by that. But when it's someone in the church, when it's your brother or sister who's ripping you off, well, although you'd have to say it wasn't just the Christian accountant who was greedy, 30 to 50% is what people were buying into. God hates greed and God hates exploitation, especially amongst his people. And that was a lesson which Israel was about to learn. Now, um, if you were with us last week, do you remember where it was that Amos was based when he did his preaching? Uh, do you remember what town it was, what, what part of the northern kingdom? Um, it, it begins with B, by the way. Bethel, Bethel. It was at the shrine in Bethel, uh, which was the, the king's chapel. Uh, it was the national Cathedral, if you like, it was the uh, the king's shrine, and uh, that was where he based his preaching or his prophesying. And at Bethel, at the shrine at Bethel, uh, he, he would have seen people um, making an offering at the altar, uh, and off, offerings of fruit. But here, he also saw a vision. And we're going to go back now to verses 1 to 3, which was really the introduction to the chapter. But here is the vision that he saw. And he says, "'This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, "'a basket of ripe fruit. "'What do you see, Amos?' he asked. "'A basket of ripe fruit,' I answered. "'And then the Lord said to me, "'The time is right for my people Israel. "'I will spare them no longer.'" Um, Baskets of ripe fruit on the altar? Well, God here is saying it's actually Israel that is ripe. Ripe for what? Ripe for judgment. Verse 7. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. So here there's um, uh, there's great imagery uh, here it isn't there? There's this imagery of the earth being shaken, like an earthquake. In verse nine, it's there's darkness that will be um, happening in the middle of the day, and this is significant because in the Bible, um, earthquakes and darkness uh, they symbolise judgment. Israel would be judged. This is the promise, but there's another judgment that it alludes to. Do you remember what happened when Jesus hung on the cross? What happened in the middle of the day? The, 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 the sky turned to to darkness, three hours of darkness. And when Jesus gave up his spirit, the, the earth shook, the, and the people came out of their tombs. Because on the cross, God's judgment for our sin was suffered by Jesus. The darkness and the earthquake tell us that Jesus didn't deserve to be punished. Israel deserved to be punished and they were through the Assyrian exile that was about to happen and we also deserve to be punished. But Jesus didn't use us, did he? Jesus didn't use us to fill up his own wealth. Instead, Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself for self-centred sinners like you and me so that we might enjoy uh, the true wealth of forgiveness and eternal life with God forever. Uh, Listen to um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 where he reminds us for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, um, God had been speaking to Israel. God had spoken to them. How how had God been speaking to Israel? Well, firstly, uh, he had given them the law. And the law was clear. They were God's chosen people. They were rescued from slavery to live, not like the world, but to live as God's people, to live as as family. Um, In Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, um, we see something of how this would play out. Because if a fellow Israelite uh, was was doing it tough um, financially, if they needed help, then any loan that would be made to that person would be made interest free. <laughs> interest free. Um, because you don't, um, you don't profit from your brother's suffering. Interest free. And in Deuteronomy chapter 15, you know, every loan, every debt that was owed by a, a fellow Israelite um, would every seven years be cancelled so that the debt was wiped clean. And it didn't matter if he'd taken out the loan six months earlier or seven years earlier. When that seven-year point hit, all debts were cancelled. All debts were to be cancelled. And it sounds a little bit like um, how God has cancelled our debt to him on the cross, doesn't it? So we see in that some of the grace and the mercy of God that is fulfilled ultimately in the gospel. The wealthy in Israel were to care for the poor, for the vulnerable, uh, like the widows and like orphans. And when the farmer um, harvested his crop, um, he he would leave, you know, what he'd missed out on. He'd leave the stuff that uh, he'd go through once for a harvest but he wouldn't go through again for a second harvest, Uh, what would he do? He would leave that. He would leave that so that the poor could follow and with dignity, with dignity, uh, would be free to take up um, that which was left over. In the law, God revealed his will, that his people should treat one another with compassion and with generosity, just as God, in taking them out of Egypt, in bringing them into the land flowing with milk and honey, had treated them. But in Amos's day, Israel wasn't listening. God had spoken, but they weren't interested. And so we saw back in chapter four that God um, spoke to them with some greater force uh, through drought, through plague and through famine, but still they didn't listen because life was all about them. And so now there would be a different kind of drought. Uh, Let's pick it up at verse 11. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Um, What did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But Israel wasn't interested in hearing God's word. And so in verse 11, God said, well, you don't want to hear what I've got to say then fine okay I will withdraw my word from you now sometimes um, God gives us over to our sin you know we, we don't want God in our lives and so God says all right I'll, I'll let you have your way and let's just see how that goes and it doesn't work out very well does it <laughs> doesn't work out very well in fact, it's a, it's a foretaste of hell uh, because if my life is all about me and your life is all about you, what happens when we meet? <laughs> Survival of the fittest in our individual relationships, uh, in our community and in our world. And now in Israel, this prophecy did come true. Um, They were exiled into Assyria and then later the southern kingdom was exiled into Babylon. Um, But in terms of this silence from God, there was a a period of about 400 years, the the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, when there were no fresh revelations from God, silence from God. But that famine came to an end. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. The famine of God's word is broken in Jesus. Friends, when we don't have God's word... Uh, we may think that we're doing fine in life we may we may even look successful we may accumulate possessions and we may look like we're doing really really well but it's an illusion it's an illusion because despite the appearances we don't actually have life but god has spoken to us through the gospel now i remember the very first the the very first time that I ever heard God's word preached. Very first time. I was in a church. The church was full. 300 people or so in the church. But it seemed like it was just me and God there. Because his word uh, was, a, was, was a, as light and life into the emptiness and the darkness of my soul. Because the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us of our need for him and it tells us of how we can get right with him so that we no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us greed is good said gordon gecko greed he said in all of its forms greed for life for money For love, for knowledge, greed has marked the upward surge of mankind. And so that is what shaped his life. And he was consistent. Because if life is all about me, then when I use people, when I cheat people, when I ignore the needs of others... When I withhold my time, when I withhold my resources, when I withhold my care, when I withhold... Because it doesn't suit me, then I'm just being consistent, aren't I? But if life is not now all about Jesus, then what will consistency look like? Jesus gave his life for us. So that instead of being consumed um, by our own desires... And instead of using others to serve our interests, we should always be thinking of how can I bless the other person? How can I do that? Is there something that I can say uh, in order to, or do in order to encourage them? How can I use what God has given me in order to bless the other person, to help them? And there's countless opportunities, isn't there? It's, it's almost limitless. Visit the sick person. Cook a meal for them. Offer a lift to the elderly person who can't drive any longer. Pray for each other. Be open to serving in church. Looking after the children of the young mum who's struggling. And so on and so forth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the rich were commanded to be rich in good deeds to be generous, to be willing to share, um, to lay up treasure uh, not in this life but in the coming age and to take hold of life that is truly life. But you don't have to be rich, do you? (laughs) You don't have to be rich to be greedy and you don't have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to be rich to be blessing others. What we need to be is those who treat others with the same love and compassion with which God treated Israel and with which God has treated us. Now, Gordon Gecko was consistent with his commitment and uh, they arrested him for insider trading. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know. The question then is, what is our commitment? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus that though he was rich beyond measure, uh, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become actually rich. Rich in knowing you, rich in having an eternal future, rich in being able to live for the very purpose for which we've been created to honour you and to love one another. Father, we pray that um, we would have such a, um, a, a, a an understanding and affection for who you are and for what you've done for us in Christ that we would just hold very, very loosely to the things of this world and, and use those gifts and those opportunities that you've given us to honour you and to bless others, particularly to bless those who are doing it tough those who don't have as much that uh, we would treat others as brothers and sisters in Christ we would love our neighbours as ourselves in Jesus name we pray amen